Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right. A lot of interesting news, Danny, uh, that we've had come down the, the pipe here. And we're catching up now after a few days uh, in Summer League. It's been great to catch up with people uh, as well, eat some great food, uh, see you for you know, about eight hours yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, where do we need to start here news-wise? I think we start in Atlanta with something that happened about 30 minutes after we finished recording our last podcast. We were speculating about whether, I think it was Mike Scotto had reported that there was traction, maybe it was Jake Fisher, on a negotiation with DeJounte Murray and the Hawks, we wondered about whether that four-year, roughly $120 million extension with the new looser, meaning more favorable to players, extension rules existing. And you said that you would ur- you would urge, if you were his representation, DeJounte Murray to take that offer. And I broadly agreed with you. And he did. So four years, $120 million for DeJounte Murray, roughly a year after the Hawks acquired him from the Spurs. Yeah, and this was an outcome that didn't seem very likely when DeJounte Murray was acquired. And two things changed. One was the new CBA, which allows 140% of prior salary to be the starting salary in an extension. And also that DeJounte Murray, he played okay. I, it was about actually at what my expectations were, I think, for Atlanta, which traded as much as they did for him. The three first-round picks plus the swap uh, and Two of those picks, their own unprotected, the swap unprotected in 25 through 27. They probably felt like he might have even more of an impact than he did. And you know, I was talking to a, a few people around about that extension uh, and Murray, and we're sort of drilling down to why it is maybe that it didn't work out quite the way they thought. And you know, one of those was that Murray's not a great off-ball guy. They felt, though, I think that he was going to totally solve their Trey Young off the floor problems and you know make them like above average there and I still think as the primary guy even against bench units he's only okay and then he also felt like he was going to solve their perimeter defense problems as far as having someone who could guard opposing point guards I think he's only okay there too he's a playmaker but not amazing getting around screens and then he also can't really guard up uh, against bigger players either so I think this pays him about appropriately wouldn't you agree Danny for a guy that we've had kind of consistently in the 15 to 20 range maybe a little bit above that at times in our point guard rankings it does particularly um we we still don't know all the you know all the terms because I don't think the extension has come through the channels yet but if the incentives parallel his current contract then Murray it's really more of four years 114 million and then if he does super well then it goes up to 120 And, and yeah I think especially considering where the cap is going even if it's not 10 percent per year that's you know DeJounte Murray is a starter even if he's not a savior and he can help out the Hawks and one of the concepts of an extension like this is if things don't work out would you have teams that are interested and I don't think that's a certainty but I do think it's higher than 50 percent that teams would be interested in Murray at this price at least yeah, I think so. to generate a market yeah, I think, and he's become a good enough shooter that if he's your worst shooter on the perimeter or he's more of an on-ball guy, you're fine there. And so I do think that this extension, it is kind of funny that in some ways signing him to an extension is maybe an acknowledgement that it hasn't worked as well as sure. maybe everyone would have thought. Because I think there are some people like, oh, he's an all-star. Like, he's going to get the max. Uh, and uh, there's no way they could possibly extend him. And I think he is going to get a player option on this deal too, uh, which will help him given his age to get back out into the market. I think it, in his uh, late 20s, I want to say he's 26 now. Is that right? Yeah, 26, 27, uh, I'm pretty sure. So Yeah, next year will be DeJounte Murray's age 27 season. 
yeah. So I think a, a guy who's I think can improve more as a shooter, but also maybe doesn't have meteoric growth still ahead of him. And I, I think from his standpoint, you know, I was talking to an agent who was like, yeah, you know, I'm a little surprised that he took that deal. And I'm like, hey, you know, like for me personally, you know, you guys know this is my philosophy unless you're just like an absolute crazy elite player that and Murray's only made you know decent money in his career 16 million a year he hasn't gotten like you know a a nine-figure contract already under his belt so I think to get that guaranteed get the player option to get back out there get another starter level of contract when the cap will be higher uh and you're taking a risk here right like are we seeing what's happened to D'Angelo Russell like he got that max deal he got paid off of that all-star appearance in 2019 and then uh, that was kind of a fake all-star appearance i I think murray is better than russell uh but also his appearance was kind of a fake all-star appearance he was an injury replacement in the west that year and so i don't see another all-star team in his future and if that's the case then this is about what he should be making so might as well lock it in now particularly for a guy who has a, a torn acl in his past Absolutely. And if Murray plays at significantly at places, then he will have a market. And how this affects the planning for Landry Fields and the Hawks moving forward, we'll have to see. But it is, of course, significant. From there, I think we go to Philadelphia, where we had the drama of sorts. I don't want to say it was too dramatic on more, more maybe for your other podcast colleague, John Hollinger, of <laughs> Paul Reed's offer sheet. And the Utah Jazz used their room exception to offer Paul Reed. 23 million over three seasons. However, only the first season is fully guaranteed. Justin Zanuck and Danny Ainge put in a fun little, a fun little wrinkle, which may, uh, Dan Feldman is, you know, I, I can't remember if it already came out or if he's going to on, on how this could eventually change in a future CBA. A clause in the contract that the second and third years trigger, it triggers a guarantee if the team he is on makes the second round of the playoffs in the 23 24 season. And first of all, that's cheeky that's fun it didn't say they get knocked out or anything like that the, the, <laughs> because the Sixers often make it to the second round and then lose in yeah. the second uh, round often as in for the last five years correct <laughs> and, and so but also the the problem with this from an equity standpoint and I'm sympathetic both directions on this is that the theory of an offer sheet for better and for worse is that it is functionally the same for both the offering team and the team with the match decision and Putting in a clause like this, even though, yes, the Utah Jazz could absolutely make the playoffs, could absolutely win around this coming season, that starts to draw a line. And I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think that there's a way to fix it right now in the new CBA, but I wouldn't be surprised if this is something that certain teams file away and say, hey, we don't want this kind of incentives in an offer sheet. Yeah, because it's not really an incentive. It's a, a guarantee. We've seen incentives uh, in offer sheets, uh, although uh, those uh, where maybe the incentives Incentives are a little bit worse for the matching team uh, because uh, the matching team is better or something like that. But this, in terms of the actual guarantee and that being the trigger for the guarantee, I mean, we've seen now there are plenty of regular contracts that have provisions like this, right? Like Eric Gordon had a provision that if they won the NBA championship or he made an all-star team the last year of his deal guaranteed. So are you going to say that now you just you can't put those sort of incentives in an offer sheet with respect to guarantee dates? I mean, to me, I'm more in favor of guys finding creative ways to get paid and uh, i'm totally fine with this one and i'm more in favor of guys being able to move teams restricted free agents the restricted free agency process is so limiting already that you're i think the incumbent team still has plenty of leverage like if you want to pay the guy then pay the guy if you think he's part of your group now for philly to match this i think it was pretty much a a no-brainer even so and likely if they make it to the second round of the playoffs so paul reed will still be a good player now part of why i think and i think this doesn't necessarily overvalue paul reed either at eight million a year that's like good backup center money i think he proved that he's kind of at that level at this point and they do need someone like that you know the room exception is not a, a ton of money we've seen guys uh go for around the room exception as backup centers previously although the room exception is a little more now under this new cba where i think they thought there would be some pain here is that the Sixers are trying to line up maybe to use cap space next year using that small capital to Tyrese Maxey. And 
and so that this could cut into that but it, i think number one if they make it to the second round of the playoffs they'll be more attractive from a cap space standpoint and number two that would be a movable contract uh, unless something happens in any event uh now of course because they match the offer sheet the sixers cannot trade reed without his consent for a year and cannot trade him to utah under any, any circumstances for a year so uh, and it's just good to even see like the room exception now is a tool that could be used for an offer sheet that a team might conceivably not match or could actually be a nice payday uh, for someone like Reed who's been at the minimum uh, in his three NBA seasons. Um, so I, I'm not as worried about it. I mean, yeah, all right, it's a little unfair that uh, the Jazz won't be as good as the Sixers, but that's uh, if I'm the Players Association, I see no reason to agree to that unless I get some other concession elsewhere. Like you, this is uh, restricted free agency really sucks. So that now it only sucks two uh, percent less. I'm good with that. To finish out the Sixers, they also before the Paul Reed match agreed to terms with Montrez Harrell, and this is a little bit jarring in the context of the Paul Reed match. And they signed Mo Bamba to offend, to be a depth big. I, I mean, whether Bamba's a four or five, we're going to have to you know still evaluating in that sense. He's not. He hasn't been a five sufficiently defensively at least so far. With Harrell, it it might seem a little bit weird, but I'm guessing what the Sixers probably did is something involving them being a backstop, like the you. you you could have even had it where you de- you were always going to decline it and sign it because remember that the leagues only subsidizes veteran minimum contracts if they're for one season. So they weren't going to be doing that for Harrell. So it saves the Sixers a boatload of money and doesn't really change things too much for Harrell. But maybe there was also an understanding of like, hey, you can go somewhere else if you want, but you can also come back here for that. Yeah, this is a win-win for everybody. And if Montrose Harrell finishes the season on the Sixers, I would be very surprised. I think this is a one of those make a trade. Uh, with some low-level assets or, or cash, we'll see where the Sixers end up in terms of their salary level uh, as well. And you know, they're trying to. Joel Embiid said, "Yeah, we'd like to bring James Harden back. He's uh, he could just take out his cue cards from what he said uh, in the Ben Simmons saga <laughs> for that." And uh, you know, we'll see. There hasn't been any traction on Harden as of right now. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, I want to go now to something that we said we we're going to cover like it matters. I'm going to treat it like it matters until we, unless we see that the teams aren't treating it that way. And uh, that's the newly christened NBA Cup. So I think... The way it's going to work, we haven't really talked about this too much on the show yet, is it's going to be within conferences like group play, pretty similar to some international tournaments or international basketball uh, or international soccer tournaments, which people are kind of familiar with. So you play games within your group and then you can advance uh, to the quarterfinals. So there are going to be six groups of five teams each and then two wild cards uh, who get to advance based uh, on their record. There will be regular season games played within these groups, four of them. And then the team uh, with the best record in those groups uh, gets to, and I think there'll be like a point differential tiebreaker as well, probably gets to advance to the NBA Cup quarterfinals. Uh, So I just sent you the groups here, Danny. Any of these groups like seem particularly interesting uh, to you, uh, easier, harder? It seems like the league, and this is reasonable, did these based on how the teams fared last year. And for certain situations, like one of the ones that stood out to me was East Group C, is the Celtics, the Nets, the Raptors, the Bulls, and the Magic. And Orlando, I expect them to be better than they were in the aggregate last year. But the Nets are worse, I think will be worse than their record last year because they started the year with a better roster than they finished it. The Raptors lost for Van Vliet. And the Bulls just, they're fine. You know, so that's an easier group. Um, And it was always going to be 
with the East because of those four strong top teams that it was going to be, you know, a different kind of a split. Uh, and then in the West. But well, quickly here, let me just explain sure. how, how exactly how they did it. So they basically binned the drawing. They took of the 15 teams, they sorted them into five groups of three teams each and then they randomly took those teams so the one through three those guys all got split into different groups four through six of these last year split into different groups seven through nine etc so you mentioned the celtics they were the two seed so there's your one through three in east group c the nets were the six seed there's your three through six the raptors were the nine seed there's your seven through nine bulls were 10 there's your 10 through 12 and the Magic were, what, 14th or, or 13th or 14th? I can't remember, but there's your 13th through 15th. So that's, and, and then the similar process took place uh, in the other groups. So yeah, Group C uh, with the Celtics seems like they're, they're the big favorites there. Uh, group B, I, I mean, this is one of the things too, is like these wildcard teams, even the Nets, right? Like if, if the Raptors, Bulls, and Magic all suck, maybe the Nets are have an easier path to get into the quarterfinals as the wildcard, even if you might say... The Knicks and Heat are better teams. They have a, a harder group with the Bucks, Knicks, and Heat. Especially if the Heat get Damian Lillard. Jeez, that's a, like a monster group than the Wizards and the Hornets. Uh, so, uh, and then Group A, Philly and Cleveland, you know, seem like the clear favorites there. But this is uh, only four games, so we could see some surprises uh, get into uh, the quarterfinals, and then the quarterfinals will, as we speculated, will take place in the arena of the higher seed based on that group record uh and then the nba cup semifinals and finals december 7th and december 9th and uh i will be here in las vegas for those any other like interesting like particularly hard or easy groups to you west group b nuggets clippers pelicans maps rockets rockets probably i mean they they've improved but just i mean the, i think the mavericks are one of the stronger teams of their group because they tanked to end the season the pelicans who, who knows who's you know if they're going to be healthy enough and then the clippers and the nuggets like that's there are a bunch of dangerous teams there i expect denver to do very well because they are a wonderful team and the deserving champions this year but it wouldn't surprise me well so partially it wouldn't surprise me to see the wild card out of that but you brought up a great point with the nets where you want to have some wins that you can lock in there yeah i mean west group c2 is like kings were in the the one through three warriors like that's definitely the weakest group in the west warriors may be the favorite there but again like if one of the games is thunder at warriors right because you're gonna have two home and two away if one of the games is thunder at warriors and the warriors lose to the thunder at home like that there's only four games like that just completely upends the group like that one result so it's going to be pretty interesting and we'll see how seriously the teams take the qualifying games as well like I, I, my guess is maybe the teams won't take the qualifying games quite as seriously but then once they actually get into the tournament as one of the eight they will take it pretty seriously i mean that'll be fascinating one day to see like oh this is a qualifying game like are the the kings well, who i think like the kings for example i see them taking this very seriously the the other huge question for me is how is the league going to handle rest before these games is it going to be a circumstance where you know they're they're they said that they're going to be on consistent days of the week i believe it's tuesdays and fridays yeah but does that with the exception of election day on november 7th does that mean none of these you know that the mondays the mondays and thursdays are going to be completely off does it mean that some teams are going to get rest advantages like there are a lot a lot of different questions here on how the league is going to manage it the schedule release is not coming out for a little while yet but that and yeah and, and actually i mean this is this will actually make the schedule release kind of interesting to me for yes. the first time other than just knowing who's playing on christmas i actually you know i want to know when these these games are who's who's getting the home games who's getting the away games uh so yeah i mean i think like again i think we'll probably you know try to do gamers on the nights when these qualifying games are like that that'll be pretty interesting to do too so we're i'm looking forward to kind of throwing myself into this a, a little bit and uh you know if uh if it ends up sucking then maybe i'll have egg, egg on my face but i'm i figure all of you guys who listen to this podcast are sickos enough that you're gonna uh, be interested in some of the minutiae of this and and hopefully uh if it does become a big thing we'll be ahead of the curve uh, in embracing it we can jump back to the news now and 
we a couple of a couple of trades, none of which were like earth shattering. But the Houston Rockets traded away Ty Ty Washington and Usman Garuba originally to the Atlanta Hawks in a transaction, in like as a part of this complicated became a five team signed in trade for Dylan Brooks. It's a little bit awkward. We'll probably spend more time on that in offseason grades than right now in the final resolution of that transaction. But in a separate transaction, as I recall, the Hawks are sending Ty Ty Washington, Usman Garuba. Rudy Gay and a second round pick to the Oklahoma City Thunder for Patty Mills, someone else who has already moved in this offseason. Mills has moved multiple times if memory serves. And so a couple of different things here. One, I was intrigued by Patty Mills as a depth guard for the Thunder, just a veteran who could... Yeah. Who could Although they basically have him already and Isaiah Joe, maybe those part of their thinking potentially but also the incredible roster crunch at least for the time being that this creates in oklahoma city where they have 16 fully guaranteed contracts sorry 17 including case and wallace then that doesn't include the non-guarantees for isaiah joe and aaron wiggins both of whom are good enough to make an nba team they can resolve this a bunch of ways including waving rudy gay that can be one of the moves and bertans could theoretically be another so it could be something as simple as that but i like tate washington i like usman garuba i think that each of them, you know, from the Thunder perspective, they're rolls of the dice. And those players don't technically have any guaranteed money beyond this year, though Garuba has one more, you know, rookie scale year after the coming year. And Taite Washington has two because he was a rookie last season. So for the Thunder, I'm surprised that they're the team taking on these these players because of how many roster spots they already have spoken for. But I like the move for them. And, And for Atlanta, like they did draft Kobe Bufkin. And we'll talk about him when we do our summer league breakdowns in in the future but i actually would have liked gruba especially after they traded john Collins. Yeah, I mean, part of this is to save some money, maybe uh, open up some more room below the tax uh, uh, to use uh, on another possible free agent signing. They got about $13 million below the tax now. They've dumped a lot of salary. Of course, the John Collins deal was the beginning of that. Uh, but I'm still... Yeah, I, I still would have liked to have gotten maybe a look at, at these guys. You know, maybe Garuba could have been a backup center for them if they, you know, move on from Capella and a Kongu becomes the starter, like a, a cheaper option. And I, I mean, this really sucks for both Garuba and Tai Tai Washington. And I think it's very much a cautionary tale for, and we're going to see a lot of teams like this. Utah is going to be one of these teams going forward, these teams that just, I mean, the Spurs already have like a massive roster crunch uh, as well. Like they don't even really seem to have a roster spot for Dominic Barlow right now, who I think has definitely earned that with his uh, summer league play. And so these young teams that are rebuilding just have a billion of these first round picks especially kind of late ones and they just use them if i'm an agent i'm like man i i don't want to go there like look what happened like tai tai washington was just like hurt part of the year and now he's just like being dumped to okc of all places and he also like these guys are like basically missing their summer league right. uh which i think is particularly important for tai tai also maybe he'll be able to get a, a game or two in with the thunder here towards the end but then he's you know think of all the we talked about the thunder massive guard log jam already i mean is are the that are going to try to move him again are they going to wave him like what what's even going to happen at this point so i am it's uh got to really be disappointing for them at the start of their careers so now in the new cba for next draft there you're not going to really have the option of not sending your medicals to guys like the union negotiated that away uh, although i think for things that were worth it but you certainly are looking at this and okay yeah all right if you're a top 10 pick sure like the organization's invested enough in you but if you're talking about one of these picks in the 20s normally if you're a pick in the 20 you go to an organization like they are at least like yeah these are one of the couple of young guys to have we're at least investing you for a couple of years and that's it's it's tough i mean i think it's fine for the organization if you're gonna like yeah let these guys sink or swim and you know we'll move on from the ones that aren't performing but it certainly sucks for someone like tai tai who really just didn't have a chance at all to show what he could do let's move now to some trade rumors and uh michael grange he wrote that really good piece uh, that i tweeted out last week about the raptors and some of their issues and and how they arrived at this point with van fleet and now that siakam the raptors haven't really meaningfully engaged with him on an extension either he has one year left uh, on his deal uh looking to be a free agent next offseason if he doesn't get the extension there and the hawks uh 
uh, it's been discussed. Or I've been pursuing Siakam. You know, that's a little bit more difficult. Uh, I think you know they don't have much in the way of draft picks. Uh, I'm sure some of their more expensive guys like DeAndre Hunter maybe would be in that deal. But they just re-signed Murray. They just have like a lot of salary slots that are spoken for and i'm not sure that the raptors really want back some of their high salaried players so how do you get to the adequate compensation there another one that's been floated out there is the pacers and that one to me danny makes a ton of sense so do you agree with me that siakam would be a good fit there number one and number two what do you think is fair value in a trade for Siakam at this point, one year left uh, on his deal, going to require uh, a pretty big extension uh, or new contract going forward here? I think it would be good for Siakam offensively because having somebody like Halliburton kind of ahead of him in the pecking order, I, I love Halliburton as a distributor, that could be good for Siakam's individual efficiency. But if he's less involved in the primary action, then how's that work? But they're playing a spacing five. Defensively, Siakam can be a tone setter, can be a, a cog in the machine, which is, I mean, and a big cog, which is very good. The challenge, which will define compensation for the Pacers, is how confident are you that you're going to have him beyond one year? Because if if this is a rental, not only is it hard to come up with the matching salary as the Indiana Pacers, and they have some cap space still, but you know, they're still going to give up some players of value here. But you're not going to, you know, dump a bunch of unprotected picks on the Raptors if there's no guarantee that he's going to come. I mean, Siakam is already, has already kind of, there's that reporting out there that he was, you know, telling teams like he wanted to maximize, you know, whether it's maximizing his money or he's happy there or whatever. And that would be really holding me back as the Pacers, the idea that, yes, he would help you and he pushes the you know he pushes the age curve a little bit but not so much that it's i mean he's not a fundamental transformation but being like you're not going to give up multiple unprotected picks to be left holding the bag a year from now in a year that siakam doesn't elevate you to like winning multiple playoff series or anything like that yeah that's interesting i i think he is a really good fit there also because of miles turner as sure. well and also like the pacers they need one more creator i think but yeah siakam doesn't have to be the main guy i think halliburton can set him up he can go to work against mismatches uh, more easily they kind of need one more guy who can pass on this team and siakam is i think he's a solid passer but not an amazing one but that's okay if he's your number two guy instead of the number one as he's been uh certainly you understand maybe toronto finally coming like to the realization after losing van vliet that no actually this is not going to work with all these guys and their two kind of biggest investment guys in terms of siakam and barnes playing the same position and just the total lack of spacing they have yeah i don't think particularly with one year left on his contract right like we these huge trades that we've seen have come recently for guys with a lot more time left on their contract ad is the last one going in the last year of his contract but and that's part of why i thought the lakers didn't negotiate very well in that deal uh because and also because you know ad got traded for a price that was like he had three years left on his deal and yeah the lakers knew they were going to re-sign him but they still with one year left on his deal like where, where were the better offers than maybe if the lakers uh, had negotiated a little bit harder so you know i think unprotected picks that aren't too far out I, like they got Halliburton if they re-sign Siakam I mean clearly you have to talk to his agent and have an understanding of what it's going to take to re-sign him uh and you know be willing to pay that but I do think that you know and I don't I'm not going to like Siakam's next contract for sure he's gonna be 30 next offseason you know if you're the 30 percent max would be that seems a little exorbitant uh for where he is right now even though and of course with the Raptors there's the possibility he could make all all NBA this year be eligible for the super max which would be uh even more unpalatable but if there's any team like Siakam is a better talent than got someone that they can get in if he and you know I don't think he's someone who's as concerned about you know being in a big market or whatever. he seems happy in Toronto but also you know, if he gets traded from there, he gets traded from there. And they could probably get him for a relatively cheap price, knowing that the Raps don't have a ton of internal leverage as far as retaining him, because we've seen them try the internal leverage game before, and it's kind of failed with Kyle Lowry and then spectacularly failed uh, with Fred Van Vliet. Uh, I, you know, again, I think depending on the price, like I think two first round picks would actually be somewhat reasonable because the, uh, particularly if they're relatively soon here, because the Pacers have a lot of young guys already. You know, if you don't have to give up Matherin, they just uh, brought in Jarris Walker as well. And their books are super clean. 
going forward so they can withstand having a quote-unquote overpay for Siakam because he's just a better talent than you're going to be able to get in Indiana I think if they did get Siakam I mean yeah okay is that a conference finals team you know maybe not right but I think that's like I think that's a top six playoff contender you know for the next three or four years and like i think that's worth doing because they're not that without him i don't know if they necessarily have a great path to get there without him like they do need to add one more piece in some form or fashion and they're going to be too good i think to be at the top of the draft going forward which is part of why i'd be okay maybe giving up a, a pick or two and maybe you can get at least you know a top four protection on that pick or something like that so i, I would be pursuing this move because i think the fit there particularly with turner is outstanding and he's kind of everything they need in a way that uh i don't think he is other places and for example in atlanta sure uh, where i don't think he makes as much sense now maybe that would be the the prelude to a murray move at some point also worth noting though that for toronto they probably need to get this done in the summer because siakam would not functionally be extendable if they wait until during the season and so i think if he does go somewhere they would want to be able to either extend siakam or maybe even just reflip him at the deadline if it's like really really not working out but you need to, you there's a urgency i think on the part of any of these parties to get this deal done now uh and you know again i think the biggest issue to me is going to be well what is the actual compensation going back here I mean, toronto has been kind of notoriously difficult to deal with if you talk to people around the league and there's been reporting on that too so are they going to just continue to have this insane value for some of these guys they're going to be acknowledgement like hey this guy's in the last year of his contract you know this is kind of what the 30th best player in the nba in the last year of his deal is about to turn 30 goes for because you got to pay him again and that's not a great contract and it's just they've kind of blown all the leverage in this situation will they acknowledge that or are we going to see another kind of overvaluing here and then you just go into the season in a very weird spot let's stay oh the- I, and i guess last last thing too for toronto i mean this again highlights just what a complete disaster the purdle trade was right like to ha- have that top six protected pick out there i mean are you gonna try to get be top six like that's pretty damn tough they could end up giving up the eighth pick in the draft very easily to the spurs uh for Jakob purdle who they then had to overpay with a player option for 20 million a year as well i mean if they, they're not going to get better by trading pascal siakam and they already lost van fleet i mean that was just to have such light protection on that pick is just a complete disaster right now and it really limits their optionality reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. And I thought we could stay in Toronto because there's been additional reporting on how kind of things went south with Fred Van Vliet. Yeah, I think this is from Grange's piece last week that they were ready to increase their three-year $90 million offer to include a partially guaranteed fourth year. Uh, I think this is actually before it came out that there was a team option on that last year, interestingly. Uh, and so what Grange reported is when they went to three years and 130, there was no counteroffer. And then he also talked about how supposedly there was no market for Van Vliet. Now, uh, some uh, I think it was maybe it was Zach Lowe's podcast that talked about with John, maybe even that talked about, well, like you have to actually shop the guy to get offers, which they weren't really doing. Um And then apparently Siakam did turn down what would have been a three-year max extension at the beginning of last season in hope of making an All-NBA team and becoming eligible for the Supermax. Uh, But he actually was pretty close to that in the end. And there hasn't been an extension offer then uh, this offseason. But yeah, I mean, Siakam, we'll we'll see what he gets paid if there is a trade that takes place. But yeah, I probably would have taken that three-year deal uh, as him. Uh, but 
I think he kind of shot for the moon and that that'll be an interesting one we've seen a lot of these out there of like where guys have really you know not taken the attention Dennis Schroeder is the most prominent example there and do they end up getting paid that much I mean I think his in his new destination he probably gets a four-year deal but is that for the 30 percent max that you know maybe it won't be we'll see in San Antonio, Greg Popovich and the Spurs agreed to a new contract. I don't. It's hard whether it's an extension or new contract because I don't think we know exactly when his deal expires and everything else. But five years, eighty million, and that's a lot of money for somebody who we don't expect to expect. That's not a guarantee to be coaching that long. But remember that Pop has a role within the Spurs organization. Woj clarified that in a subsequent tweet, and so he, you know, he could theoretically fulfill this contract while not being the head coach of the Spurs, but at least he's they've agreed to terms for the foreseeable future. Yeah, a lot of interesting stuff here, starting with the fact that the Spurs basically have never actually, I think, announced any of Pop's contract stuff. Like, And we've generally seen here the last couple of years that coaching contract details have gotten out there a little bit more i think that's actually very good for the coaching market because that uh, i think and even research has shown this in business contexts too that when there's more transparency on people's salaries then there can be more comparison and everyone ends up getting paid more uh, when there is that now certainly there's unlike with players you, know, you there's no kind of league-wide portal where enough people can check this where it's just going to get out regardless so it's good to have this out there for coaches and of course the fact that monty williams deal that six years 78.5 was put out there by Woj in this article i mean that's very clearly a pretty good negotiating for anybody and greg popovich is like all right i know monty williams is a good coach but uh hey uh you know i'm craig popovich here and he's also president of basketball operations so he doesn't necessarily have to coach out this entire deal uh, at age 74 he's already the oldest coach in nba history by i think three years but of course there's plenty of context to monty williams getting that deal the fact that they had to overcome that he was already getting seven million a year for three years when he's fired and the pistons suck and obviously his family situation where his wife was recently diagnosed with cancer and all that to like i don't know if they get him if they don't agree to pay him that much but nobody else is going to look at that context and be like ah this is unique particularly now that this popovich deal is out there also so tom gore is i do not imagine he will be a popular man uh, at the board of governors meeting to have blown through the roof of coaches salaries which you know steve kerr is going to be up for a new contract soon like these are like like Monty Williams is a good coach, but he's not more accomplished than a lot of these guys. Like Ty Lue is going to absolutely cash out soon as a result of this. So it's going to be, uh, we'll see whether there's an adjustment here or whether all these coaches are just going to get paid. I mean, I think they should. Like the coaching salaries probably haven't gone up at the same rate that player salaries have until, of course, uh, this deal with Monty Williams. Considering where revenues are going and the cap and everything else, like it, it makes sense that the uncapped portion of expenses could could rise as well. And, and so good for these coaches to get paid. And, I'm never going to be sympathetic to owners having to pay more for for quality individuals. The other trade that happened during this window is a bizarre one. And what happened is the Phoenix Suns traded pick swaps to the Memphis Grizzlies in 2024 and 2030. Um, and they can, you know, the Grizzlies, it's a, it's a pick swap. So that means they're, they get the choice of either their own pick or the lesser of the Suns pick and the, um, and the Washington. Washington Wizards selection. I I don't know if that's in both years or just in in one of them, but it's the lesser of those is what the Grizzlies have to choose from. And Memphis also took on Isaiah Todd in that deal, who was a minimum salary former second round pick that was included as flotsam of sorts in the Bradley Beal trade. And the Grizzlies are also getting the Pelicans 2025 second. And it looks like they're getting, is it their own seconds? Memphis's own seconds back that had previously ended up in Phoenix's hands? Uh, I can't remember. It's a second. It's some kind of flotsam, some kind of currency. I mean, the, the idea being basically that this is something that's not really tied down that the Suns can kind of break off and use in future deals for small acquisitions or small cost-cutting moves around the margins. Uh, and I mean, what, what do you think of that price that was paid by Phoenix to, to now take yourself instead of second best, now third best between Wizards, Suns, Grizz in these two years? I think the Grizzlies could very well be strong in those years. So there is there is some downside risk. You know, it, it's not, I mean, I don't think it's quite the same as the Spurs swap that we talked about last podcast. But, you know, I think Memphis could be one, depending on what happens 
happens with Ja and everything else, they could be one of the better teams. They have a great young core um, moving forward. And I don't think that the, you know, the seconds, the seconds are too juicy, too intriguing there. Well, for the Lakers, uh, Rob Plinka had an availability yesterday. He says they are looking to sign another big uh, with their 14th roster spot and Christian Wood and, Mo- uh, sorry, not Mobamba, uh, Bismack Biombo. Mobamba is now in Philly, uh, were thrown out there uh, as possibilities. They're going to try to play two bigs together more apparently this year, which I, I don't love that given Anthony Davis can't shoot anymore. Uh, but they definitely just can use another big uh, as insurance uh, there. I think Christian Wood could be okay with some other more intelligent players uh, around him and just to operate as more of an efficient play finisher kind of the same idea as Rui Hachimura just hey all you got to do is just score when we get you the ball and you don't have to do much else now Wood has also struggled defensively but he could have you know playing with Anthony Davis might help him as well it seems as best I could tell I don't think anyone has officially reported this yet but that LeBron did in fact end up having to have surgery on that foot uh and but you know supposedly he's 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 doing well now. I mean, it's only been you know a month and a half or so at this point. Same thing with AD, but yeah, we'll we'll see in camp. I mean, my feeling on the Lakers is they've added a couple of pieces. They've put enough to me around LeBron and AD that if those guys can deliver at a high level, you know, they should be right back in the, in the mix. Kind of the same way I felt about Philly last year with uh, Harden and B. Like if those guys play well, which they ultimately weren't able to play well enough, that they have a, enough around those guys, though. Some of the supporting guys for Philly couldn't make a shot either in that game six. Um, Also on the Grizz front, this is interesting. And also, I believe, uh, new CBA history. We saw Desmond Bain's five-year extension with the Grizz appeared to be for the 25% max. However, uh, that is only 170 or 197 million guaranteed, a mere 197 million guaranteed, uh, and 8.7 million incentives. And the reason that's noteworthy is it used to be if you were going to do a five-year extension rookie scale, it had to be for the max. And now, though, you can do a five-year extension, and it can be for anything from the minimum all the way up to the max. And so I believe this is the first deal that has taken advantage of that. So it seems like the Grizz did a little bit better in the negotiation. Like It wasn't just, all right, we handed out the max like candy. You felt maybe that's what it was because it was announced so early. But there is a, like a little bit of team consideration here in this one. We don't know what those incentives are. It may be stuff that's pretty reachable for him. A former Grizzly did get money paid out like it was candy, and that was Dylan Brooks, where usually these contracts that come in, they end up being more team-friendly than the original reporting. But in part because the deal was so in flux at the time, the Dylan Brooks deal was originally reported as four years, $80 million, And then per Woj, it is now for the kind of the like the the expectation level is four years 86 million with another four million in incentives that could push it to 90 million so as we discussed when the original deal happened i don't know who the houston rockets were bidding against but dylan brooks is getting his money yeah a a lot of really interesting machinations here by the rockets uh, as well because jeff green also he actually got above the room exception that's what they used that extra cap space on that they opened up via these uh, this five what ended up being that five team trade and where they're able to get uh, all these small salaries in step up the basis from those to get brooks uh, on this new deal and my theory is that with brooks it wasn't necessarily who they're competing against but that they wanted him to wait until the end game with brooke lopez and maybe that's why they had to pay him more but yeah i mean it seems unlikely that there was another team out there that was offering more than kind of maybe something along the lines of you know what max struce got you know i don't know that like the pacers would have been in on him I mean, we never heard anything about another team usually if there is another team the agent wants that out there uh, and so we never got any reporting uh, on that and jeff green again him getting above the room exception they used some of it on jock landale to give him this long deal for about eight million that's uh, only guaranteed for the first year as well because they at least got the structure they wanted there uh looks like jeff green he's another fascinating one where he is going to have a non-guaranteed team option now you might say well how can you have a non-guaranteed team option on a two-year deal nate Uh, because of course the guarantee information in the option year must match uh, the previous year well what they're going to do we've only seen this i believe one time before 
with J.R. Smith, who did it with a partially guaranteed player option, is actually the first year of the contract is technically non-guaranteed as well, but it guarantees like tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) So that allows him, so he has a guaranteed date of July 11th this year, and now that allows him to have a guaranteed date of July 11th next year, but also have a a team option as well. So that that gives them the ability to just decline that, bring him back at, at a lower salary. It would allow them to also kind of hold on to him so and it allows them to trade him uh, as well should they want to they can just opt him into the team option before trading him uh so uh, although i guess he didn't have bird rights so they could have done that anyway but it, there's it just gives up more ability to maybe trade him keep around a little bit longer so well and, uh, we'll and, to, eva- again, and yeah. to evaluate the free agent market a little bit later because team options have to occur before the league transition date of june 30th whereas guarantees can be a little bit later so there uh, could oh be- yes how, how could they possibly evaluate the free uh, free agent market prior to uh i mean it's, <laughs> it, seems, it seems that they were one of the teams that actually did some real negotiation on on june 30th no no i I think you're right yeah and so maybe maybe they do value that and for brooks also i would have been significantly less surprised to see a team option or non-guarantee on the later part of his deal than the than the reported one on fred van vliet and it appears that that is not the case so dylan brooks gets his money A, a couple of other well we'll do guarantees first and then we can do contract updates on the guarantee front royce o'neill this isn't a huge surprise 9.5 million is going to be guaranteed for the 23-24 season a general guidepost to use there is would if the player if you waived them would they have been claimed and i think there's a possibility that o'neill would have been and even if you want to ignore the sunk cost part that the nets traded a first round pick for him which was a mistake a year ago same front office though i expected that and then when they came down as we were recording from warren williams bruno fernando who pushed back his guarantee date is getting guaranteed for the coming season so that either yeah. Well, I guess now that they got rid of Garupa and Tai Tai, they have the roster spot for him. They potentially do have the roster spot for him. And as John Hollinger noted, if they waive Creechy and Martin, then they then the Hawks basically have pretty dang close to the full non-tax pyramid level to use underneath the tax. But I'm, you know, I, I wasn't expecting Garupa to get fully guaranteed. I'm happy for him that he is. Oh, this is great. Uh, Joe Cronin just said regarding a team in the little trade request, if it takes months, it takes months. Hooray. <laughs> well, what that means is that the offers are shit. Like that's really what, what's going on here is they're like, come on, come on. So like, we know what Miami has to offer and it does, it does not appear from what we've seen that they changed anything to allow themselves to offer a third first. They, you know, they have swaps and everything else. No. And it is possible to do that at a later time. It's just, they already negotiated a trade with OKC. Kind of could have seen that in the terms. And so this is a somebody else step up. This is a stalemate. And notably, we haven't really heard anything on Harden recently, too. So we could have both of these drag for these longtime all-star guards. Yeah, I mean, all we've heard is they, they really hope he comes back. Uh, Dwight Powell in Dallas, uh, his three-year $12 million deal with the Mavs has a player option for the final season. That kind of seems more likely to me that it could be an opportunity for him to opt out and then they just give him the Udonis Haslam minimum in perpetuity going forward there. And then uh, Mark Stein noting that the Mavs uh, have likely moved on from Theo Pinson. Uh, but they can maybe they can re-sign him before the playoffs if there's a you know, a team that uh, really likes to wear white, so he can he can stand on the bench in his uh, in his white sweatshirt to confuse them. And Stein also noting that trading Tim Hardaway Jr. and either trading or releasing it JaVale McGee remain a- expected moves for Dallas. And trading Tim Hardaway Jr., you would imagine that that deal would include the one future first that they can offer in the 2026-27 range, depending on, uh, I'm sure they're hopeful they will uh, give up that pick to the Knicks and extinguish that obligation this year, the, the top 10 protected. So yeah, we'll see if there's there's more coming here from Dallas uh, pretty quickly. Uh, this is also noteworthy that the Bucks signed the number 58 pick Chris Livingston to a four year, seven and a half or $7.7 million rookie deal uh, using that uh, second round pick exception. We've seen a lot more four year deals than we used to, in part because the exception now allows it. And the exception also allows a team option despite the third year uh, having a guarantee on it. And so Livingston, like it seemed like Rich Paul and company were trying to sort of shut him down. He's a, athletic forward who kind of didn't really do much though in his his year at kentucky uh but yeah for him to get a 
his first two years guarantee we saw this with trace jackson davis as well but this is another team that is quite taxed out and so i would be absolutely floored if his first year salary is not exactly at the rookie minimum to help out uh, with the tax issues but that also allowed him to get a second year guaranteed uh so the bucks they're gonna have some pretty inexperienced guys in their group on the main roster this season uh they're also gonna have andre jackson uh at uh uh, who they bought into the draft to get uh, at number 36 and uh then they brought up aj green and uh interestingly we it doesn't look like uh Thanasis Antetokounmpo uh, or Wesley Matthews. We haven't heard anything uh, on those guys yet uh, potentially returning. You would think that they would have interest in bringing both those guys back. Uh, but they did re-sign Jay Crowder. We still haven't heard anything on those numbers. So that makes me think it's uh, pretty much the minimum. What else we got here? Another contract detail that we got recently, uh, Rich Paul negotiated. I, I thought the Jeremy Grant deal was great for Jeremy Grant. Five years, $160 million, And he has a player option on the end of that. So even better for Grant. He could theoretically opt out, you know, get more control over the process there. Then we also got details on Jordan Clarkson's deal. It is a balloon payment of sorts. In 23-24, the Jazz had available cap space. Clarkson will make $23.5 million in the coming season and then drop down to 14.1 and then 14.3 in 24 25 25 26 Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, Reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet365 21 plus only must be present in virginia if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800-GAMBLER terms and conditions apply all right well we got a little time here and we know at least that Victor Wembanyama's summer league, as expected, is over after two games. So let's talk about him here. What'd you think? I was not in the building for his less dynamic opening game. I was only in the building. You, for- you should be glad because it was it was pretty uncomfortable, honestly. Yeah, and so I was only there on Sunday when Wembanyama had 27 points, nine of 14 from the field, two of four from three, and seven of 12 from the line, including getting fouled on a couple of jump shots. And a couple of things stood out to me about Wembanyama. One of them was at least in the game against Portland, he primarily was playing power forward defensively. They were giving Dominic Barlow a lot of the kind of more centery assignments. It wasn't uniform. He's always the four or anything like that. But I also thought that Wembenyama was more tentative defensively than I hoped. Like he was kind of like, he wasn't quite all over the place. But when he was in a place, he was pretty effective. Yeah, my biggest observation on him in general, and this ties in with what you said, was that he wasn't really, I thought, in great condition. And he acknowledged that actually he's pretty straightforward. He said, yeah, I got to get into better condition now. Let's keep in mind what his schedule has been. Uh, I think maybe it was a misperception like, oh, this guy's been playing like he'll be really, you know, these other guys haven't played in a while. Like He's going to look better than them. I, I think he played through all the way through the French League final. They get swept there. He basically comes right to the U.S., you know, that's like a week before the draft, maybe. And he's hanging out in New York. You know, he's doing all sorts of PR stuff, podcasts, tons of media. He said after that he's going to try to get away from the media for a, a little bit. And, you know, I think he's very good with the media, but it's uh, it could be fatiguing when you're not used to this level of obligations. And he just, you know, he probably wasn't really having a great chance to work out. He didn't go with the team to California. So they played a couple of games there without him, one of which I was at. And so they kind of had an established hierarchy that he was coming into. I don't think they really, they hadn't really practiced with him much, didn't really have an understanding of how to use him. And so, yeah, I thought he was just, he was getting tired easily. He hasn't really probably had a chance to do much since the French league final ended. And hey, even if you're uh, in good condition, you spend a couple of weeks not really being able to do much. That's going to have you be pretty tired. I thought he looked a lot better from that standpoint in the Sunday game uh, before we move on I just wanted to just talk a little bit about what the environment was like in the gym 
that first game they were sold out which rarely happens last and i think only time that ever happened before was with zion and when he came out like everyone just stood up and everyone was standing throughout the entire warm-up that he had and for the tip-off again i mean this is a game that doesn't mean anything and so every single time he got the ball the fans started cheering i mean particularly like it's not really even like the environment of a real game it's more like they're there to see one guy and see him do something and there's like pressure for him to do something i thought early on it was weird for him he didn't have his shooting touch early and then he it seemed like he was trying to make you know a million dollar move on every possession and he didn't have the chemistry with his teammates and so i mean to me yeah he missed some shots but what was kind of the most awkward about it was you know he bobbled some passes or he would just try to go one-on-one and just lose it or fall down or something like that like that his one-on-one attacks looked really bad and they were just very slow developing and that i mean to me is you know not the strongest part of his game anyway and then the Spurs didn't do many favors with how he was being used. You alluded to how he's basically guarding the four. And of course, it would be very Spurs to be like, well, we're just going to like use this for her development. And you know, we, we think you're going to play the four. So we need to get some practice guarding Brandon Miller. He guarded Brandon Miller, their best shooter, most of the way. And that, I mean, that was pretty fun. Miller couldn't do anything on him defensively. Uh, but also like he's got to need to look, he played center most of the way for the French for his French team. And so defensively, he's going to need to figure out how to still close out, but also be able to impact the ball around the basket. I thought that that aspect to me showed he has a lot of work to do there. It does. And the idea of, you know, playing, especially with NBA spacing, but playing power forward and center defensively are very different things. There are talents who are adept at both, like Jaron Jackson Jr. has done a good job. Giannis has done a good job at times as well, but they are different skill sets. And for Webidyama, there weren't as many, like he's he's around the rim and he's changing a shot there because a lot of times the guy he was guarding was was further out. You brought up Miller in the first game and it was even true against the Blazers. The, the assignments changed around a fair amount, but there were times he was on, you know, like Chris Murray or I, I think maybe a brief stretch on John Butler Jr. And like, you know, you, Butler Jr. hit a three, though. I believe that was when Wemby was out. Uh, and so, you know, the, those are different challenges. Offensively, again, I think that the context didn't do Wembenyama any favors, but we did see, and I brought this up a little bit when we did the prospect scout, some of the limitations of a player who you're not going to lean on as much with the ball in their hands. So one part of that is, yes, the point guard play for the Spurs was severely lacking. They were starting a backcourt of Brandon and Wesley was something they've done before, but neither one of those guys is a great pick and roll operator at this point. But also to Wembenyama's part, he wasn't consistently assertive either as a screener or just like somewhere else in an action, you know, like posting up or something else. And so it's harder to find him. It's harder to make those interior passes. And so I think that both the context, but also his overall level play, you know, both of those left me want. Yeah. And the second game, you know, he did really turn it up against maybe not quite as good a competition uh, the Blazers without uh, Scoot Henderson uh one thing that I what I would say where he looked the absolute best was and he's guarding on the perimeter he's playing Brandon Miller who in theory is you know a guy who's going to be a scorer and Brandon Miller tried to like quick shoot him once at the end of the clock and got like a 26 foot three blocked and I believe Every single time someone tried to isolate on him from the perimeter, they just like didn't know what to do. Like he blocked a number of perimeter shots in those circumstances and nobody I think even came close to like getting by him or getting a good shot at all. So I, that was the one thing that I think from my scouting that maybe wasn't getting enough attention is like you can't actually beat this guy one-on-one from the perimeter (laughs) like if he's gonna switch or something he's gonna be I mean I'm sure the best guys will be able to score on him like people are gonna try for sure but that he shows at, at this age at his height like this level of skill defending on the perimeter where that was like a major plus for him in this setting is like that's incredibly exciting uh and you know we saw a few more of the plays offensively in the second game that were kind of these only him plays where he just tip dunked uh like this offensive rebound tap back where he'd gotten a first tip on it uh another play where he tried to drive along the baseline missed a floater but ran to the other side of the rim got it and went back up for the end one and he started to get the jumper to fall in that second game too i think that's really important for his confidence uh the other thing that it was they clearly worked with him on you could see him even working on this in pregame warm-up was to just rip the ball through and go fast make a quick decision because his problem was he was holding the ball isoing trying to like take 
a bunch of dribbles in a row and you got guys at the elbows and there's, there's just not really an ability to attack that way because like his dribble is still high as much as he works on his handle you know if he's going to try to make a spin move around the free throw line someone's going to come in from the wing and, and tip that away from him so instead when he did get the ball and try his attacks he went hard i thought actually it was kind of a good thing that he picked up a charge uh because he did just like really try to attack hard i thought they ran a bunch of post-ups for him in the first game and he really was like trying to like overpower guys which is just not his strength like he's better just either shooting over them or trying to get them moving laterally and then yeah, step I mean, sideways at this point Wembenyama's finesse game is better than his power game. It is far from unusual. I mean, I, something I said about Paolo Banquero when he came into the league as well. And and you you could develop that power game in time. Also, even though he is significantly taller than a lot of these individuals, Wembenyama could be somebody who only really unleashes the power game when he's facing much smaller. You know, like if if the team tries to switch or something else, and that will be a defining question for him probably over the first four to six years of his career. Yeah, and as you noted, this is a team that had. No- no passing he was probably like the best passer on the team I would say and he'd made some really nice passes off the dribble in the first game and didn't have any assists in the second game but he made a, a couple nice passes uh at the foul line against the zone yes summer league coaches are using zone now uh they should all be fired immediately but so so I think the the passing was good that was another thing that I had kind of locked in on as maybe people weren't talking about enough uh, with him and as uh, again a guy who's uh been talked about more than just about any prospect at least uh, since we've been doing this um let's see yeah i mean the other thing about the way he was being used he's playing with a big dominic barlow even like cd sissoko who's like technically a four you know he at least defended the five there but uh he was uh charles bediaco out, out of alabama is another pure center that he's playing with and yeah he's he is very skinny to see in person like his legs are definitely skinnier than even i had realized um but i do think like he doesn't look too rickety out there like he was losing his balance somebody like in the sense of like oh he's gonna get injured like you could actually see that he does like when he falls it doesn't it, he doesn't fall like a ton of bricks the way some guys like joel do but but he um, does fall a lot like that was something i noticed more in these and that might be the physicality of the nba or something else like he was on the ground more in this than he was in the two french games i saw in person yeah and, and refereeing uh him is going to be difficult that's something we talked about uh, in our uh, scouting report of him as well but the biggest thing was he's not being used as a role man and that's where i mean you could see on a couple of plays where like he can catch the ball at the foul line take one step and either dunk it or be in a position for a layup or to to get fouled and he was you know mostly playing more of a spot up role offensively maybe trying to iso but if they can actually have like a real pick and roll threat he got a little better with his screens in the second game but he still needs to improve there actually making contact and then getting downhill i mean that's where i think particularly early on and, and even when it, with his french team like he was devastating as a role man like they had to just like he these teams had to really deal with that schematically bring guys in from the weak side or trying to switch it or whatever so i think uh let's sum up uh, on this since I got to head to the arena in a second, anything that made you, any aspect of him that you feel differently about, any impressions you had that were confirmed uh, as a result of, of these two games here in Summer League? I'm a little bit more concerned about his kind of like read and react defensive stuff. I think it'll get there and there's the fatigue and the adjustments there. Like I thought he might be a more natural defender than he was in some of these moments. And we brought up the context and I think the context is important yeah. there. There were just so many times when he just, it, he could have actually like crashed back in even when he was guarding a shooter and he just was kind of like, I'm just going to kind of stand next to this guy, which was, was disappointing. It was disappointing. And I mean, I was so happy when in the, particularly I think it was the third quarter of that Portland game where he's just like I'm just gonna yam on a bunch of people like Wembenyama has that capability and he did it I mean those some of my favorite bits of his film in the French League and so getting those and I mean like every young man who has ever existed I wish he made better contact on his screens it will come <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not really I'm not freaked out about that though it is the most frustrating element and I mean I brought up Porzingis with this for years is that the person who you help the most by setting a good screen is yourself because 
because that creates a separation and then they can find you. Particularly in some ways as a pick and pop pick, though it works for Rollman as well. And I, I think that the it toned down for me something that I had already expected and that this came up in my most recent Discord chat, which was in June, of I my inclination is that he's not going to be this like all NBA guy year. Like he'll show flashes of it, but that it's going to take him longer, both from a physical and mental element that he, that he could have a wonderful year in terms of believing in his future, but not a year where he's like better than though, you know, like the, I mean, and we're going to non-position all NBA stuff, but like that, that it might, he might not meet that threshold. And so that the idea that there's a lot of room for him to roam and a lot of growth to do in all these facets, like that's what I expected, but it also like, it would have been amazing if he just like wrecked everyone every second and that didn't happen. Yeah. And there are not many guys who in their second year have played in an all NBA level, you know, that's probably LeBron, Luca, you know, it, in this century yeah i mean Le- lebron luca uh zion actually probably actually did play at an all nba level his second year although he didn't make it he should have um well and for and first year yeah. is even more rare fighter we're talking like kareem and a few yeah. others yeah yeah you have to go back to the, the before the high school or the one and done era uh, to really get to that uh, of a guy who's in all nba consideration or even like legitimate all-star consideration I mean, some of these guys made it you know like yao made it but there you know some of that was based on publicity to really be like this guy even one of the 30 best players in the league as a 19 year old rookie you're not gonna see that very often so i i'm not i i think he looked a little shook in that first game uh and it was a weird circumstance uh it is hard for a guy like that i mean the other thing to consider too and the game that he had in that second game i mean how many rookie big men are have had a game like that <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like not not many, right? And particularly, how many nineteen year old rookie big men have had a game like that in summer league? Like, it's not a big man's league at all. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not going to go back through every performance, but you know, Tim Duncan, even and he of course was a four year senior, uh, had re- really you know struggled against Greg Ostertag. So I had the tweet like, you know, we'll remember Kai Jones uh, who dunked all over him at one point. Uh, the way you remember Greg Ostertag someday. So I, I like this was if you just combine the two games that he had and just distributed them more evenly you know it wouldn't have like i don't see anything that i'm like worried about but i wasn't maybe as into the like oh my god this guy's gonna be some like isolation killer right away and i also acknowledge that he's probably gonna spend more time in the perimeter as a younger guy the spurs are gonna ease him into that they're gonna want him to uh kind of learn that four position he also like you know he didn't know the plays that well like he said it he was honest He was like yeah i came out there i had no idea what i was doing in the first game and i thought that he showed the resilience to bounce back particularly even because that second game didn't start particularly well for him Mm -hmm. and then he was able to find his rhythm i mean his shot looked you know didn't look great to me like didn't look good in warm-ups it wasn't really going in uh you know he was 7 to 12 from the free throw line again that could just be kind of like the nerves or or not being in shape like he shot 80 percent from the power like i think he'll get there but that may Maybe he'll take a little bit longer. And I, you know, I wasn't sure that he was going to be this amazing shooter anyway. I thought he would just be okay at that. Uh, certainly early on, at least. Uh, oh, I guess the one other thing I should say too, like his rebounding still like didn't impress a ton. Like his hands actually, that's probably actually the one thing I'd say. And again, maybe this was still the nerves or just the unfamiliarity, but I did think, you know, he flubbed a few more plays than uh, I would have necessarily expected well, I mean, him to. Tran- transitioning from metric system to to <laughs> imperial weights and measures, that, that could be hard on your hands. Indeed. Okay, well, we got so much more to talk about summer league-wise as well. I think we'll be getting into those pods. Uh, maybe not as our quite our next pod, but uh, then you know next week we'll, we'll be wrapping up. We're going to try to talk about every single roster player who has guaranteed money in summer league as we always do so stay tuned for that over the next few weeks or so john and i will probably record middle of the week here uh, as uh, your next pod as we get into our off-season schedule we'll talk to you all again soon reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil 